Romans 15, I'm going to pick up in chat in verse 22. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you're going to hear some connections between the, the passage we read out of uh, the letter to the Corinthians last Sunday to this, because Paul is talking to a different church, but about some of the same travels and events. In chapter 15, verse 22, it says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in, in, in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Arcadia have been pleased to make such contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. In other words, he's going to swing through Rome. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that... By God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So as Paul is writing to the church there in Rome, he's, it's important to remember he's writing to people that he's not yet met. Um, in, in, the, in this letter, he's had some harsh things to say to them, some disciplinary things to, to say to them. But he, but, he, but he also says at the very end of this passage that he is longing to be with them because he's convinced that he's going to be refreshed for being around them. Now, I don't know. Maybe when you think of what it's like to be around church people, maybe refreshing is not the word <laughs> that comes to mind. You know, when pastors get together, one of, the, one of the things that sometimes we do, not certain saying this is necessarily a good thing that we do, but one of the things we do sometimes is we tell the stories of really bad experiences we've had in churches. And the honest truth is, because churches are filled with people and people struggle with sin, sometimes churches behave badly. And sometimes churches are not the most refreshing place to be around. Maybe when we think about what it's like to be uh, most refreshing, the people that are most refreshing to be around, maybe for you it's the thought of being home. Now, that may be defined differently. That may be home like your parents' home or your grandparents' home, or maybe it may be your home, where you're around your people, where you can relax, where you let your hair down, put your feet up on the coffee table, and, and be at ease. Be yourself and know that not only are you connected to those folks, but they are connected to you. They're going to take care of you, and your needs are going to be met. Now, it may not be that you think of church that way, but I want to make the case this morning that that's exactly the way church was intended to be. That the fellowship of believers is intended to be a place where you are refreshed. But now, here's the difference. Some of us have had experiences with churches that were not refreshing, and I'm suspecting that's because that was a body of people that was not being obedient to Jesus and filled with those who knew Jesus. 
But when you get around people who are being obedient to Jesus and know Jesus, there is nothing more refreshing than that than to identify with those who know your Lord and uh, love your Lord like you love the Lord. And in that, there is an encouragement, there is a refreshing, um, there is a goodness about being around them. I think the modern church is desperate. Whether we know it or not, we are desperate to recover a right understanding of fellowship. Paul is writing to the Roman church whom he had never met, and yet he says, I long to be with you. He had been sharing the gospel. He had been planting churches. He, he talks about, he asked for prayer in this passage that, uh, that, they, that, he would, that he would endure under difficult circumstances because of those who, who did not love Jesus. And I hear in this passage a, a desire, a desire that I, that I identify with, a desire for Paul saying, I want to be around people who love Jesus like I love Jesus. I want to be around people who are striving to be obedient to Jesus like I'm striving to be around Jesus. I want to be around people who are praying passionately like I'm praying passionately, understanding that if you could get around those folks, it would be a refreshing experience indeed. That's what fellowship ought to be. And as we think about fellowship this morning, I I want to encourage you in three ways that I think that fellowship blesses us. It blesses us with community, it blesses us with support, and it blesses us with prayer, refreshing us and encouraging us to be about the work of the gospel. Let's begin with, uh, it blesses us with community, the blessing of community. And I want to make the case this morning, friends, that you and I were created to need and desire community. We need it. So I've already said that Paul is writing to a church and to a people that he had not yet met. And so as he comes close to, his, uh, to, as he comes to the close of his letter, he's expressing a desire uh, to, to not only just give them instruction, but he's saying, I, I want to be with the church. That's what he says in verse, in verse 22 where he says, this is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I, I, I no longer have any room for work in these regions and since I have longed for many years to come to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He says, I want to come, not just talk right to you in letters. I don't want to just communicate to you from afar. I want to spend some time with you. I want to eat at your supper table. I want to spend some time in your den. I want to worship with you together, our living Lord Jesus. You and I are living in a culture that has always been, but certainly even today, has some really strong individualistic traits. Sometimes this is expressed in the way people think of church fellowship as optional or or, or, um, ancillary. In other words, some, maybe even of you, when you think about the fellowship and the, the need to be connected to people in the church, you see that as maybe, maybe you might agree with me as something that is good, but, but if you were honest with us, you might say, well, it's something extra or it's ancillary. It's, it's sort of to the side, but it's not the main thing. Some will choose to be disconnected from a fellowship because they simply say, I don't, they don't need it. They'll say, well, you know, I, I, you might recognize a need to, to know the Bible. You might recognize a need to, to pray. You might recognize a need uh, to, to hear preaching and teaching. But, but she'll say, but, but fellowship, I mean, I, I just, you might say, I don't personally need that. That doesn't, that doesn't ring my bell. And mostly for a more modern context, some will attempt to consume the content of church without participating in the fellowship of the church. 
I'm very thankful. In fact, we, I've, I've been encouraging the church to, to pursue every element we can to, to press the gospel message as far as we can, particularly with the use of technology. I'm thankful for that. Um, right now, um, we have a broadcast ministry that's sending out a live signal that, uh, that people are watching uh, on their computers and iPads and iPhones um, all over the place. This will be, um, this video of this service will be edited and posted this week, and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me um, how far that reaches. And, uh, and there's been some sweet, sweet stories that every now and somebody will call the church and, and tell me how the, the broadcast ministry has, has ministered to them. So every now and then when I get a little frustrated with things not working right, equipment not working, and I think maybe we ought to just turn it off this Sunday. I, I'm reminded, no, press on. Um, God's using that. But, but let me, but hear me very carefully. Watching a service online is not the same thing as being in the pew. Participating with the church in the, as the sermon is preached is not the same as listening to me preach on a podcast while you work out tomorrow morning. Now, I'm thankful for those of you who listen to the podcast and thankful for those of you who watch the video. That's, that's, that's consuming the content that's being produced here. The, and I hope it's good and faithful Bible content. But, but, but the problem with that is it's the content of the message of the gospel disconnected from the fellowship. And friends, I'm telling you, you and I need the fellowship. It is true that you can get some of the elements of church without being here and without being in the fellowship. You can listen to sermons. In fact, here's something that I know to be true. There are some who are, who are very regular, very faithful to listen to my preaching on podcasting and in the video the week after I preach it. Because they're so faithful to do that, some of them hear me preach more often than those of you who, who only hear when you attend. But I'm telling you, hearing me preach on a podcast is not the same as hearing me preach in the context of the fellowship of believers. Nothing can replicate fellowship but being in fellowship. Paul spent much of his ministry away from the church and away from church fellowship. And, and you see as he's writing to the Roman church how greatly he desires to be with the church. Friends, God has given us the church for our blessing. And there's a couple of things where I think that, that the blessing is. Not only does the, 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 the blessing of community meet a need, but it also is a source of encouragement for us. So Paul wanted to be among the church that he might be encouraged in his work. So he, he, was, he was well acquainted with the difficulties. If you, if you are familiar with the story of Paul... As he preached the gospel, he was sometimes beaten, almost to the, uh, to the limit of his life. He was imprisoned. He was run out of town. He was hated. He was opposed. He would eventually um, be executed for preaching the gospel. And the truth is, is that all those who labor for the gospel will encounter the hostility of this world. Friends, this world hates Jesus. This world hates the gospel. And if you love Jesus and you intend to make the gospel known in this world, you won't just be met with indifference. You will be met with hostility and hatred. And there is an encouragement that comes with being in the context of the church when you're around fellow people who love Jesus and are proclaiming the gospel. There's an encouragement just being around those folks. And we need moments where we step away from the hostility of the world, step back with those who love Jesus, and take some encouragement from them. When you spend all of your time in the context of the world, such hostilities can create in you fatigue 
You can get tired. The church fellowship must be the place where we find encouragement to be faithful in the face of a hostile world. One of the things that happens when you meet with other believers is there's an encouragement. Press on. The gospel is worth it. Press on. The kingdom is worth it. Press on. Jesus indeed is Lord. Be encouraged. This encouragement comes from the reception and testimony of the word. This encouragement comes from unified purpose, being with people who share the, the purpose of the gospel with you. This, this, this encouragement comes just with being around people who love Jesus like you love Jesus. When the church is focused on the gospel, it will be an encouragement to all those who labor for it. Friends, there's a blessing of community in that we need it, that it's a blessing of encouragement. And I also think, connected to that encouragement, it is a source of rest. So Paul says in verse 32, and there's an interesting word there he uses. Look with me in your passage. In the very end of the passage we read, he says in verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The New American Standard translates that as um, finding refreshing rest in the company of the church there in Rome. The, the word that, that, uh, that Paul uses is, um, is interesting. It, it literally means to experience restorative rest with, together with someone else. In other words, it's not just you're tired and you're sleepy and you need to close your eyes for a few minutes. That's certainly rest. This restorative rest is more of finding a, a, a restoration by being with someone else. So it's not just a respite from labor. It's a being connected with someone else that, that fuels your soul for the work that you've been called to. This is a rest that comes from being together with someone. Friends, the, the fellowship of believers should be a place and a source of restorative rest. Some of you had hard weeks this week. Some of your jobs mean that you are around some really wicked people all week. Some of your jobs require that you deal with some really broken situations all week. Some of you are living in families where the people in your household don't know Jesus, don't love Jesus, and there's, a, there's just a, there's a stressor in that context. And friends, there's an encouragement that comes when you come amongst those who love Jesus that there's a rest here. There's a restorative rest for being in fellowship. And this doesn't mean that we're not active for the Lord. It doesn't mean that when we come together for Jesus and, and, and for church, we just sit around. Uh, certainly, Paul was unafraid to speak truth to the church. In fact, if you read the previous chapters of the letter to the Romans, he had spoken some really hard things to them. But this means that because we have unity in Jesus, we are, we are, when we are together, our fellowship is restful and restorative. Friends, you don't get that from just listening to a podcast. You don't get that from listening to Christian music on the radio. You don't get that from being by your uh, alone. You get that for being in the context of the fellowship. There is a blessing that comes in the community of believers. Secondly, there is a blessing of support. Now, if you were here last week, this very much rings true for what you heard last week. And, and, and the, the, for, for that matter, it, this point preaches in both this sermon and last sermon. So last week's sermon. So last week, I made the case that um, we should excel in grace. And Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and he was saying to them, listen, 
Um, I've been in Macedonia. That's who we referenced in this passage. So I've been in Macedonia. The Macedonians, even though they were poor, have given abundantly for the, for the, uh, for the financial support of the Christians back in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were experiencing a economic hardship, and because of who they are, they could get no support from the temple, and they definitely didn't get any support from the government. And so Paul was make, taking a collection uh, to, um, to take back to the Christians there in Jerusalem. So we referenced that last week from the letter to the Corinthians. We, we see it again in this, in this letter to, uh, to the Romans, and, and, and Paul talks about how that there is a mutual blessing between both uh, the, the, uh, the new believers and uh, the Jerusalem believers. And if you look with me um, in verse 25, he says, at present, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Arcadia have been pleased to make contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do so, and indeed they owe it to them. For with the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, that would be the, the believers at Macedonia and Arcadia and even in, 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 Corinthia, in Corinth and in Rome. Uh, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessing. So two things here. I think straightforward. Uh, when we gather together in fellowship, it, there's a blessing of support. And I, and I really see this support in two ways. Number one, that when we gather together in fellowship, we are able to meet spiritual needs. Now, the big issue that Paul had to deal with in his letter to the Romans was their acceptance of uh, the, the Gentiles. And so um, that was a conflict within the church where um, Jewish Christians weren't really sure they wanted to accept the, um, the, uh, the, the new believers that were Gentiles. And Paul's using this support opportunity where the Gentile Christians who had been saved and, and who God had blessed with a lot of wealth, um, he's using their generosity toward uh, the, the Christians who had uh, been converted from Judaism to say, listen, there is a, there's a mutual support here. You supported them with the gospel, and they're supporting you with, with, uh, with, uh, with material needs. And so here Paul is making the, the plea for financial support. The first order of support is always spiritual. I think that's what he gets at in verse 27. For he says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing. Well, what was the spiritual blessing that the Gentiles shared in? The spiritual blessing the Gentiles shared in was the gospel preached by those who had, um, the Jews who had, who had been converted to Christians. The, the spiritual support was first given by supporting the preaching of the gospel, supporting the, the sending out of missionaries and defending the true doctrine. Coming alongside new believers and new churches to assist them in areas, the, 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 the Jerusalem churches had, had done that. They had sent Paul out to preach, even to the Gentiles. Now, in practical ways, you and I do this uh, uh, here as well. So um, one of the most practical ways that you um, meet spiritual needs through the fellowship is that you provide for the preaching of the gospel. When you give your, your tithe and your offering on Sunday morning, that goes to support the ministry of the church. And part of the ministry of the church is that it supports me, that I can devote my full-time attention to, to leading and preaching, leading the church and preaching the gospel. I think of you every opportunity when I get a chance to go and preach outside of Central, and um, I go and get to preach the gospel or share the gospel, and I can do it for free. 
I don't charge to preach the gospel. When people call me up and go, what's your speaking fee? The speaking fee is ask me to come, maybe feed me lunch. Amen? I'm able to do that because you've already paid the fee. You have provided for the preaching of the gospel. When you invite a lost person to come and be with us on Sunday morning, there's no charge at the door to come in. Because the believers, the fellowship here at Central has already paid for that. They paid for this building. They paid for the air condition to work. They paid for for my salary so that I could prepare to preach. They've done all of that so the preaching of the gospel can be free. The proclamation of the gospel can be free to the community. And so when we think about the, 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 the blessing of support, the first order of support that the gospel, uh, that, the, that the fellowship does is the, is the meeting spiritual needs of the community. Now, certainly we go further than that. We provide for the ministry here locally, but, but your tithes and offerings go to make, uh, make it available for the, for the mission work to go into North America and literally through the International Mission Board around the globe. Right now, there are missionaries preaching around the globe and their salaries being paid for by you and other Southern Baptists because we understand that, that part of the blessing of support by being in fellowship is the supporting of spiritual needs. Preaching the gospel, number one. But secondly, there's meeting of the physical needs. So Paul, as we even we talked about last week, had been going to the Gentiles, the Gentile new believers, Gentiles, and he said, brothers and sisters, you need to support the, the financially in need Christians back in Jerusalem. So when we think about being in fellowship with one another, we certainly first and foremost want to meet spiritual needs. But there's also a case to be made that we are to meet physical needs. So the Gentile churches had given of their financial resources to help the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Paul says this is not only was this a gift given with pleasure, but it was also given as a duty. Now in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, I don't command it. But here he recognizes it's really their responsibility because they've received the blessing of the spiritual um, ministry of uh, the Jerusalem Christians. They ought to support them with their financial blessings. The the Gentiles in Macedonia and Arcadia were recipients of the Jerusalem church's spiritual support. Therefore, it was right that they in turn should come to the aid of the Jerusalem church's material needs. Not only was it right for the new believers who had resources with which to help their poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, it was also another sign of their true conversion. Friends, when we gather together as a body of Christ, we certainly ought to be meeting spiritual needs, sharing the gospel with one another, encouraging one another with the word of truth. Sometimes, like even Paul writing to the Roman church, challenging one another, calling each other out when there's issues of sin and disobedience. But we should do that as our first order. But we also ought to meet one another's physical needs. We should be mindful of, one of, uh, of each other's needs and be ready to support one another. Now, that often happens, doesn't it? That often happens. We, we see that beautifully um, when there's been um, maybe a tragedy in a home, a sickness, a death. Um, you know, in, in South Georgia, I know at least in Central Baptist, if, if you get sick, you, you might also get fat because you're going to eat really well. Amen? That's, what, what does bringing a meal do for somebody? It's meeting a physical need, isn't it? It's encouraging them. One another. There's a blessing in that support of, of being with one another in fellowship. 
But there's one other thing I want you to see out of this passage that I think comes from being in fellowship with one another that only happens in fellowship with one another, and that's the blessing of prayer. So look with me in verse 30. So Paul's giving his prayer request to the church. And he says, I appeal to you. So I'm, I'm asking you, brothers and sisters. I'm asking you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. One of the blessings that comes from fellowship is the blessing of prayer. And I want you to think about this blessing of prayer in two ways. The first is that it is a shared, listen to this second word very carefully, it is a shared labor. That we labor with one another together in prayer. Now, it's likely that you don't typically think about prayer as something that you work, as is connected with work. And you, and you probably don't think about prayer as labor. So when I say, let's, let's gather together and work, we, I, we just wouldn't use that phrase. Let's work for prayer. But Paul clearly saw prayer as a vital part of the labor for the gospel. So that's why he says, in verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of Christ to strive together, to work together, to, to labor together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Now, this is a, a phrase or a, or a theme that he's used in other writings. So in, in, to the Colossians, Paul wrote in, in chapter 4, verse 12, uh, he, said, he, um, he says, Ephraim, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, who greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayer. In other words, always working, always struggling on your behalf in prayer. To the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, he wrote, you also must help us by prayer so that, they, so that many will uh, give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the, to the, through the prayers of many. Helping us, laboring with us is what he's talking about there with your prayer. The word that Paul uses here does not indicate a passive or relaxed action. But the word, when he, when, he, when, he, when he uses the word in verse, um, uh, when, he, when he uses the word strive in verse 30, the, the word actually means uh, to join someone else in some severe effort, to join fervently, to join invigorously in. In other words, this isn't let's hold hands, sit quietly imagery. This is work imagery. This is vigor energy. This is this, this imagery of working hard in the context of prayer. When we pray for one another, we, we share the burdens of ministry with one another through the labor of prayer. I think if we would recapture this understanding of prayer as labor, it would do the church well. And this is why I think this. You and I, maybe because of our, our American culture, we generally see work as something of great value and worth. And so we tend to elevate to greater importance those things that we see as work. How many times have we excused ourselves from something because we said, well, I've got to go to work? Or I can't do that because I cannot skip work. And not to be too harsh, but, but sometimes, dear friends, it breaks my heart to notice that 
a lot of things can keep you from Sunday morning worship. Maybe you feel a little bit poor. Maybe company came in. Maybe you, had, you stayed up late on Saturday night. But miraculously on Monday morning, you never skip work. Feeling bad, you still go to work. You didn't sleep well on Sunday night, you still go to work. Why is that? It's because you see an importance of work. You recognize the importance of work. I want to make the case, friends, that the importance of the fellowship is as important as the things that you do in your labor for money. And Paul says one of the ways you labor in fellowship is that you labor in prayer. Because prayer is often not seen as labor, we're tempted to pray as an afterthought, not as a first-place action. But friends, I want you to see Paul recognized prayer as a first-place action. This is the labor that you do for one another. You got a brother that's struggling in the gospel work? Pray for him as a labor for him. You've got a sister who's in a difficult situation. Maybe her family doesn't know Jesus, and she's trying to share the gospel with her family. Pray for her as a labor on her behalf. You've got a friend who's in a difficult situation, a, a family member who's got a terrible health situation. There's somebody in the fellowship who's in need. Labor with them in prayer first as a first place priority. Pray as part of the work and labor of the ministry, not as a last response, but as a first response and a first order response. Labor with one another in prayer. And as you labor in prayer, be focused on the mission. So Paul's life was wholly given to taking the gospel to those who had not yet heard. And notice how he asked the church to labor in prayer for him. So he says in verse 30, Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And this is what? Verse 31, That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Our prayer, our labor of prayer must not solely or even primarily be focused on just personal needs. I think our labor of prayer um, must be focused on the task of making Jesus known. Now, there are some personal requests here. Paul says, listen, pray that I'd be delivered from the unbelievers. Pray that I'd be accepted and my work would be accepted. But I think underlying that is, listen, my work's important because I am making the gospel known. There are some who are opposing me. Pray that I would not be overcome by them. There are some who I'm trying to connect with. Pray that they would receive me. Paul asked for prayer to rescue, from, rescue him from those who oppose the gospel. He asked for prayer that his work would be fruitful. He asked for prayer that his service to the saints would be a blessing. Paul wanted to be effective for the work of the gospel, and he wanted the church at Rome to labor in prayer for him to that end. Friends, I think this should be the focus of the labor of our prayer, that the Lord would allow us to be effective for the gospel. Now, hear me carefully. It's not terrible or wrong to pray for a stumped toe, okay? So when you have a physical need, Part of the blessing of fellowship is that we're praying for a physical need. If you're sick, part of the blessing of the fellowship is praying for the sick. If you're grieving, part of the blessing of the fellowship is praying for the grieving. That's okay. That's good. It's right. It's appropriate. But that ought not to be the only thing we pray for. I would encourage you, friends, as you pray for one another and as you share prayer requests with one another, 
move, intentionally move the focus of your prayer and your prayer request to gospel-focused things. So that coworker who needs to know Jesus, have somebody to, to labor with you in prayer, that, they, that you would have opportunity to share the gospel with them and lead them to Jesus. That family member who doesn't know Jesus and who's making your life miserable, Ask a brother or sister to labor with you in prayer to pray for them, that you would have a gospel witness to them. That that opportunity of ministry that you're not real sure how to approach, ask the church to labor with you in prayer that God would give you connection to them and access and an opportunity. Be gospel-focused in your prayer. This should be the focus of our prayer, to labor in prayer for churches to be effective for pastors to preach faithfully, to teachers to be good teachers of the word of God, for believers who are sharing the gospel with their peers and coworkers to be effective, for believers who are sharing the gospel in their school, for believers to walk faithfully in obedience wherever they may go. Let the striving of your prayer be for the kingdom of God to be advanced. Didn't it seem like it's been forever since 2020? It's not. It's, in fact, it's quite just a few, several months ago, 24 months and a little bit more, but, but 2020 seems like forever ago. And, and actually, before the lockdowns of 2020, that feels to me like a whole different world. Where things were sort of rocking along as normal, we were making plans like normal. And then because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, the world changed around us. And I think that in many, many ways, from political realities to government realities to church realities, even down to family realities, we're still coming to terms with how the world has changed and the consequences that those changes have brought into our world. One of the most dramatic things about COVID-19 was the, the isolation, the social isolation. So on the early days, we were told, don't meet together with other people. Um, some family members were afraid to meet with family members. I can tell you many, many sad stories of those who, uh, because of the isolation, um, went and and in fact some died without seeing their family for for over a year it was hard and it was tough it was it was hard on all of us there were some particular demographics that it was even more difficult difficult on now with the advantage of time looking back many are coming to realize that the consequences and damage caused by the social isolation may in some places be have been more destructive than the actual virus itself In a study on the psychological consequences of social isolation during the pandemic, I read one study and it quoted it this way. It said, the mental health consequences of COVID-19 are already visible and even by conservative estimates, they are yet to reach their peak and likely to considerably outlive the current pandemic. This was actually written uh, during the, the height of the pandemic. It went on to say the most common psychological disorders emerging are anxiety and panic, 
obsessive compulsive symptoms, insomnia, digestive problems, as well as depressive symptoms and post-traumatic stress. These are not only a direct consequence of the pandemic, but also largely driven by the effects of prolonged social isolation. That is the objective lack of interactions with others. Now, in some ways, when we look back on that, we go, well, of course it is. God made you, God made me, God made us to be in fellowship with one another. It is likely that the consequences of the imposed social isolation during the past few years are still not fully known or fully appreciated. But friends, I, I can tell you this. I know this. You and I were not just created to be in community. You and I were created to be in fellowship. It's part of the created order of God. You wanna go all the way back to Genesis three, the thing that was most destructive about the curse of sin is it broke the fellowship between Adam and Eve and God. What is the most destructive thing about between you and I is when sin breaks fellowship between you and I. One of the most basic things for a church to be healthy and one of the most basic things for you as an individual being obedient to Jesus to be healthy is you and I must be in fellowship. If the church is to be effective, it must first be strong in its fellowship. If individual believers and Christians are to be effective, each must invest their lives in Christian fellowship. There is no substitute for the fellowship of believers. You need it. The fellowship needs you. But here's where we are today. I can't make you, can't make you participate in the fellowship of the church. But I want to encourage you this morning, friends, there's blessing in it. Not only will you be blessed by being in fellowship, but the church will be blessed by you being in fellowship. You need it. You were created for it, and you will be blessed by it. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.